Hello, private equity. How do you rate your efforts? Is it all about the balance sheet, or do you care about your karmic balance? Today, we plug into the zeitgeist and talk all things impact. From the first innovators to the early majority, we ask whether it impacts the new normal. And we also look at changing demographics and reporting standard convergence in this episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome. I'm Oscar Gein, and we'll be making an impact on your ears and your business philosophy today as we talk about ethical and responsible investment. And to help us do that, we have in the studio Unquote Editor-in-Chief, Greg Gill. Hi, Greg. Hi, Oscar. And the fun guru, Gareth Morgan, is back. Gareth, welcome. Thanks, Oscar. Now, I think it's fair to say that impact investment's really taken off in the last couple of years. We've seen household name managers such as TPG, Bain Capital, Partners Group, and many others launching impact investment funds. Uh, Gareth, to what extent do you think this is driven by LP demand? Well, that's an interesting question, Oscar. I think if you're looking very narrowly at, at PE, I suspect a lot of the demand behind the, a lot of the drive behind the big name players that, that you just mentioned setting up impact vehicles is coming from their LPs. But I think this actually needs to be considered in a much broader context. Um, Michelle Giddens from Bridges Fund Management talks later in her interview about uh, zeitgeist shift. Uh, and I think she's absolutely right. Um, the level of awareness around the sorts of things that impact investment addresses has grown massively. So for example, as consumers, we're much more aware of the conduct of the companies we choose to buy from, things like modern slavery, processing of materials and supply chain, how they treat staff and things like that are all very, very much talked about. And we're also aware, much more aware as a society around the impact we're having on things like the environment. Um, and also willing to take steps to remedy this. So things like a ban on plastic shopping bags, the uproar around palm oil being used, proposed ban on, on disposable coffee cups are all quite good examples of how the, the kind of perception of, of environmental issues specifically has, has translated into consumer behaviour. Sure. Um, and that's, so that sort of societal change manifests itself in these strategies through one through LP demand, I guess also a sort of a change in demographic at PE firms. I know you've been looking into this a little bit recently, Greg, would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that's um, actually been said to me while, while I was doing interviews for, for that upcoming piece. Um, without being prompted, uh, at least a couple of uh, people have mentioned that specifically when it comes to what people want to get out of their job. Um, there's the financial element, which is obviously, you know, being private equity or, or venture capital is going to be very high. But there's the, the wider impact on society is, is a big one as well. Um, and obviously that's that manifests itself already in terms of the importance of ESG within, let's say, traditional private equity or venture capital firms. But there's no doubt that not only will impact investment funds attract that kind of talent, but it's also likely that the more of that generation comes into the private equity world, the more they want to set up their their own firms if you're looking at a kind of debut funds and them setting their their own private equity houses. That makes sense. And is that how you think sort of the rise of impact investing is kind of linked to greater integration of ESG principles in private equity across the board? Yeah, it's... um I'd say impact investment is the the, the culmination of of the ESG pyramid, if if you will, or, or iceberg. It's it's the it's the small tip of a very big iceberg when it comes to ESG. It's a maturing of the idea. You're not just saying, "Oh yeah, I'll invest in in traditional targets and and make sure that 
you know, at least they don't have a negative impact on things. Uh, you're taking that one step further. Um, you're looking at in terms of, of returns to wider society beyond just financial return, not you know, at, at the expense of, and that's something that I think the, the interview will cover as well. Increasingly, it's becoming a case of, you know, a win-win situation between financial and, and societal returns. Eventually, there's, there's a continuum. You, you'll get GPs that have absolutely zero ESG considerations, and I think that number is shrinking vastly, uh, to a strong ESG focus. Uh, and you see firms kind of putting that forward as their main, kind of one of the, one of the main selling points to impact investment with strong financial returns. And I think that's that's that balance and you sort of appeal to LPs by going, you know, yes, we have an impact, but also we'll, we'll get you a strong return. And to almost kind of philanthropic investing, which is, um, you know, again, can, can serve a purpose. And I think the more GPs want to differentiate themselves, even within that space of, you know, paying strong attention to ESG, naturally it almost becomes a, a selling point, a USP, a marketing exercise. It, it sounds quite bad to say it that way, but it, it's true. It, it helps you stand out. So I think that's that's where impact investing comes in. Yeah. Um, and as you mentioned, in the impact investment being sort of the top of the pyramid, many of these impact investment firms obviously have been around for a long time. Um, and it can only, from their point of view, we'll hear what Michelle Giddens has to say about it in a minute. But I think it can only be a positive thing because they've looked at the investment uh, industry had an idea about how it ought to change and now we see you know funds that would never consider themselves to be impact funds actually incorporating some of those principles um so on that point uh kenny who couldn't be with us today actually conducted an interview all about these themes with bridges fund management's michelle giddens and we'll be back with that interview after this Hello listener, I'm here to tell you about Allocate, European Private Equities AGM, hosted by Unquote. This year we'll be returning to the Grove in Hertfordshire from the 19th to the 21st of June. I'll be there, Oscar will be there, and so will more than 100 LPs, the top tier of European GPs, and our advisory partners. We'll be talking about all the big themes that will affect the next private equity cycle, catching up with old friends, and maybe even taking part in some outdoor activities, cycling, golf, yoga and a barbecue you can find out more at events.unquote.com forward slash allocate we look forward to seeing you there i'm here at the offices of bridges fund management one of the uk's most established impact investment firms with co-founder and partner michelle giddens hi michelle thanks for speaking to us hello pleasure to be here so obviously, impact is one of Bridges' raison d'etre, actually. Um, but we've seen more generalist firms and some very big brand names actually launching impact strategies in recent years. How does this affect an impact specialist such as Bridges? Is it something to be welcomed or does it mean greater competition, increased pricing and so on? Yeah, it's a great question because, wow, you know, times have really changed for the specialists like ourselves. Uh, Bridges has been making investments with the purpose of driving both financial returns and positive societal impact since 2002. And it feels almost as if we have been living um, something, I think it's called the technology adoption life cycle. And there's something called the Rogers Bell Curve. And it talks about how a new technology is adopted. And if you think about impact investing, it's followed a very similar path. So from 2000, you know, and two when we got started, it really was the innovators, the pioneers like ourselves, the specialists who were driven by a passion to make a difference in the world. Then 
then you started to see some early adopters following in our wake, still quite small and entrepreneurial. And just in the last three to five years, we've really started to see what they call in those in the technology adoption cycle, the early majority, which is those mainstream managers, the big private equity firms, um, but also happening in other asset classes, starting to develop sustainable and, and, and in many cases, even impact focused strategies. We enormously welcome it because um, it's our belief that this is the way that investment should be done in the future. And so seeing more managers move towards a focus on impact as well as risk and return is just a welcome development, gives more options for LPs and certainly gives options for investors to place capital in larger portions and larger allocations than they've been able to do so far with the specialists. Okay, and what what is it that's driving this? Um, is it is it primarily coming from LPs or LPs client bases, or is it actually private equity fund management communities with sort of younger generations coming through that are that are behind this? Yeah, well, there's look. I think there really is a, a, a zeitgeist shift, which means that it's coming from all directions. I think it, clearly a very big driver for the larger firms to raise impact funds is the desire from their investors to have impactful product to invest in, and that's being driven in particular from pension funds that are starting to see, you know, PGGM, some of the Dutch and the Scandinavian pension funds, but also some of the Californian ones, really beginning to understand that investing in the future for their pensioners does mean more than risk-adjusted return. It also means investing in a world that's going to be good to live in for their pensioners. So they're driving, they've got a lot of appetite. Some of those funds are getting started because those big LPs are going to managers that they know and like and saying, I would like impactful product, Can can you make some for me? But you're right that you know some the millennial generation, the young generation, just see life a different way. They don't see uh, a bipolar world in which you either go and make money or you go into charity or maybe you go into the government. But rather, they see businesses as having a responsibility to have a positive impact on society, and they want to work in those kind of companies, whether they be private equity firms or, in fact, the companies that private equity firms invest in. Okay, I mean, you you touched on sort of the two sides of the equation there, the sort of the impact, but also the, the search for returns for, for investors. Um, looking at returns are obviously quite uh, straightforward to, to measure, but uh, impact has always been one of the sort of key questions surrounding the uh, impact investment space. Uh, how, do you, how, do you me- how do you measure that impact? Uh, and on that note, Bridges was heavily involved in the impact management project, which was uh, announced towards the tail end of last year, um, and it's developed a methodology to to address this. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the about that project, about the background of it. Yeah, I mean, this really comes um, in in Bridges' terms. It comes from being one of the early pioneers because, of course, when we got started, our investors were looking for returns, but they were looking for returns plus, and we needed to be able to communicate to them what the plus was. So actually, we created our own advisory team within Bridges, which we called Bridges Impact Plus. And what it did was work with each of our deal teams. We have multiple different private fund strategies. They work with each of those teams. But then the outside world became very interested in how were we measuring impact. And um, we started to do advisory projects outside of Bridges with a view to wanting to build the market for impactful investment. This turned into us facilitating, really creating and facilitating the impact management project 
which has just the momentum of it has been unbelievable. So I, there are approaching 3000 different asset owners and asset managers around the world that are involved with the impact management project. Its goal is to ensure that, I mean, a little bit like how difficult would it be for investors if every private equity firm measured their financial return differently? Well, it's, that's how it is on impact. So what we want to see is that um, the investors that are offering investment product for impact-oriented investors are not competing on the way they measure impact, but they're competing on the level of impact that they have. And right. when to get there, we need to coalesce around a set of impact standards just the way that we all needed to coalesce around international financial reporting standards 100 years or so. Yeah, that, that makes uh, total sense, uh, t- to be honest. Um, I, I mean, one of the things you mentioned there was the fact that people do uh, or have historically measured uh, impact in different ways. Different firms have measured it differently. Um, I was wondering on that front, I mean, it sounds like what, from what you said, the take up uh, has been has been very strong. Um, but I wondered how much of a challenge that has been to sort of get critical mass within the industry for the methodology to be adopted almost universally, which presumably is the end goal. Well, I think that the original take-up was very strong among the investor community, the LP community, because yeah. if you imagine they're trying to make investments and to understand the impact of their investments across a whole range of different managers. And so they really have the problem of multiple methodologies. And so very early on, a PGGM, APG, um, also um, UBS became early partners in this. They did research papers with the Impact Management Project. They used the um, technology, the methodology that we've developed, the framework with which you can really assess the ways in which an investor is having impact. And they, um, for example, PGGM mapped its entire assets against that framework. And that gave an enormous um, steer to other investors and then also ultimately to the GPs. And so we now, we've just most recently seen Actus um, come out with a scoring methodology which is based on the Impact Management Project. Um, Partners Group also with their new um, impact product is is, is right. using the Impact Management Project. So um, we've been we've been very, very fortunate to have um, very widespread adoption. I think most people understand that to, to have have effective and to release enough capital for more effective impactful investments we need to have a shared view about how to measure impact just finally the uh, last point that i wanted to bring up was the the other side of the impact investment coin uh, which is the investment element obviously a question that outsiders have often asked and which has perhaps traditionally held some investors back from committing to the space is whether there has to be a trade-off between impact and returns i wondered to what extent that's the case yeah this this is a really a perennial question um, in impact investing and it doesn't really have a completely simple answer um First, I would say, if the question is, is there always a trade-off on financial return for impact? Well, the answer to that is categorically no. So there are plenty of strategies. And and in fact, within Bridges, we have two strategies, our largest strategies, where we would say that by investing in the businesses that are future-proofed, the businesses that are responding to challenges that must be responded to, we have a tailwind behind them, behind the growth of those business, and that will turn into superior returns. 
And if you think about what we've talked about, for example, young people as customers, as employees, uh, even as investors, you can see that this kind of business can translate into being a business they would rather do business with and one that's going to thrive. There are, however, also, um, for example, within Bridges, also we have um, the Social Outcomes Contracts Fund, which invests in working with some incredibly disadvantaged communities and with the civil society organisations that provide services to them. And there, particularly at the beginning, there was a need to accept a higher degree of risk because it was a pioneering structure, um, pioneering financial structure. But some investors were willing to accept that risk in order to create better outcomes for people in the greatest need. So the reason I say it's not so simple is that the broad category of impact investing does range across investments where there is a decision to take a lower risk-adjusted return all the way through to where the bulk of the capital is, which is where um, attractive financial returns, possibly even superior financial returns, um, come hand in hand with impact. Fantastic. Michelle, thank you very much. I uh, look forward to seeing uh, how this all plays out and to hopefully see the impact space take off even more. Thank you so much for having me. And that was Michelle Giddens of Bridges Fund Management there speaking to Kenny Wastel. And uh, Michelle actually answered the main question that I had about impact measurement uh, because all of us, or at least me and you, Greg, received a press release a couple of weeks ago from Actis about their new open source impact measurement framework, uh, which I was wondering whether maybe this is a competing metric, maybe this is something we could discuss. Uh, But it turns out it's actually based on the same methodology pioneered by Bridges and championed by the impact management project. Uh, So very positive there. So, But Greg, do you agree with Michelle? Do you think it's possible for the industry to converge on a kind of single set of reporting standards for impact? Or will it always be maybe a bit more subjective than financial reporting? Well, it's certainly trying very hard. Not joking, it's uh, it's an incredible effort when you look at the number of um, of stakeholders involved in the uh, the impact management project and uh, and the thought that's gone into the the Actis framework and what Bridges has put together as well. It's obviously a very very important aspect, and I think everyone has, has grasped that. It shouldn't play. When you talk about subjectivity, it shouldn't play a part in it. Ultimately, it's not so much subjectivity. I think that's greater when it comes to impact investing. Uh, but a part, the point at which uh, transparent information stops and um, it becomes m- more of a risk acceptance kind of proposition, um, and it probably arrives earlier for for LPs for for impact investment stuff. Um, and it's all about pushing that forward to the point where it's closer to traditional investment. Which themselves, will, which they always have unknowns, they always have risk, they always have an element of chance in them. But I think it's trying to get as close to that as possible. And I think we're getting there when you look at the way this approaches it in terms of finding the right metrics. And that, that will be key to see a wide variety of people coming in as well. Um, and that includes newcomers and first-time funds. If you don't do that, and I think that's the, the downside of, of, of not having, not striving for these measures, you'll risk two things. LPs are either will not come in because that, again, that risk element will always be sort of at the forefront of their thinking. Or you're something that Michelle was alluding to as well. LPs that are inv- interested in, in backing in impact investment funds will always gravitate towards the same players. The big ones, the ones that have a track record, 
uh, all the ones that have developed their own methodology that that they know and trust. And if you don't do that, then then you'll you'll have that risk. Yeah. Um, and Gareth, I want to get your take on something that Greg just touched on there. It was mentioned, I think, by Kenny that we need to get towards where financial reporting is, where there's just one set of standards. That's not quite true, is it? We were just discussing. Yeah, so there there are international financial reporting standards. Um, there are also uh, generally accepted accounting principles uh, in the UK and in the US, which differ slightly. I think what what actually works there, though, is that it's quite easy to translate between them. And I think maybe that that's probably where the impact management project is is spending quite a lot of its time trying to maybe converge on on a single set of, of metrics or to... Principles, at least. Yeah, principles, I think, more than, more than specific metrics and, and try and understand how different people take those and, and how to kind of marry them up across different perceptions of, of what that might be. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, it brings us on to another point that I wanted to discuss because we heard uh, Mark Florman, he was at our Allocate conference last year, and he was telling us about another a metric, or at least an idea for a metric, the ERR, or external rate of return. I wonder if you could just sort of talk us through that briefly and uh, explain how it kind of differs from the impact metrics that we've discussed already. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think the, the first point to mention is that, that the ERR is not actually a metric. It's not something that, that measures anything. Um, Mark Florman um, and various researchers from LSE have, have put their heads together and, and decided that what the impact market needs is, is actually a platform, which is what the ERR is, is intended to be. So that's they're, they're developing that at the moment. I think they've got about 200 million, uh, two million pounds, sorry, in, in 2017 to develop the, the platform itself, which, and, which is under development at the moment. And this is something where the, the intention is that it's going to be a kind of trip advisor for companies and their impact. That's right. So there's the crowdsourced element. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, so what, what, how it's going to work is that companies will input their their specific metrics on um, data points across five different vectors. So about the company itself, this, its supply chain and the impact that that has, um, the impact it has on its customers, uh, and also the impact it has on society and the environment. And they will then rate themselves on, on how well they're doing there. Um, and the platform also gives an opportunity for for anyone else who uses it to go in and, and to rate them and to also have a little bit of insight into to what these companies are doing. Um, so it's quite an interesting proposition. I think it will be it'll be great to kind of see the, the kind of first version of that. Yeah, I think the um, there's an interesting element there, which is the various stakeholders involved. It's almost like a 360 review of, of the impact of, of a business or an investment. Um, I, th- I think ultimately what could work quite well is, is almost that in combination with something closer to what Actisys has put together or what Bridges uh, have put together for, for some time as well. Because ultimately, I think with that, you're is going back to the idea of sub- subjectivity that, that you mentioned earlier. Um, having something that's a bit more uh, standardized in terms of and actually measuring, um, and, and that's, that's the main difference here, mm. would be quite key. Uh, but then you fall into another pitfall with perhaps the more formalized scientific metric approach which is time and resource and and i think that's something that we didn't touch on earlier Uh, but when you look at the kind of the 
the breadth of research that you need to do or you know or perhaps it has to be incorporated very early on in the investment process you start measuring things quite early on because i that's the one perhaps question mark i would have on the more metric based approach um is for smaller firms um smaller impact funds do they have the ability to do that effectively and to measure that effectively to the point that it's trusted by by LPs? And that would be my, my main concern there. But ultimately, they don't have a choice because I think if you, as these principles get, get adopted more widely, much like the, the reporting uh, practices on the financial side, even if there's still you know discrepancies, but at least there's a convergence. I think people will ultimately not have a choice. It's like ESG. Yeah, it's and we've increasingly... gone past the point, haven't we, where you can say, oh, we're a small fund manager, so we can't answer any of your questions about ESG. That's it. That's it. Even the smaller ones now have to put a policy into place and, and measure it effectively. So it will. It, it's, it's only a question mark or a concern in the time that it will need for everyone to catch up. Great. Well, uh, definite progress in that area anyway. Um, I'm afraid that is all that we have time for this week. Um, so please do take the opportunity to subscribe to the Unquote Private Equity podcast on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, or of course you can just keep listening on unquote.com. A very big thank you to our two panellists in the studio today, to our special guest, Michelle Giddens, and as always, a big thank you to you too, listener. We'll speak to you soon.